Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, November 21st, 2023, the eighth day of Kislev 5784. This is Eve Harrow on Rejuvenation, the Land of Israel Network. Uh, very honored to have once again Rav Chaim Navon as my guest, um, prolific journalist, author, also teacher at the Midrashah at Barilan University and also at Haratzion Yeshiva, known colloquially as Gush, um, here, not far from me here in Alon Shvut. And um, Rav Navon has a weekly column in Makorishon, which uh, I read religiously and um, always has some insights. And so I asked him to come on the show today to share with us some of his thoughts on what's happening here. We're in, I think, the sixth week of the war in Hamas. Um, we have losses, soldiers. Every single day we get up in the morning and we see new names. I think it's 68 now just from since we went into Gaza, not including the 300, I believe, who were killed on October 7th. And uh, and the situation is like a weird, like routine, but not routine. So Rav Navon, um, good morning. We say that now with some kind of a question mark, it seems, here in Israel. And thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. So what are your what are your thoughts on where we are in this particular day? Every day has its new miracles, I must add, and also new challenges. Of course, I have a lot of thoughts, but maybe I'll start with a book I published just a few weeks before the war. It's called Mit Karvim Veravim, Getting Close and Fighting. And my main thesis, it, it was not popular then, my main thesis was that the Israeli society is much more coherent, much more united than people used to think. Because, you know, we were just a few months, maybe a few weeks ago, in the middle of an internal, you know, very beetle, very bitter, a, a, some may say even a fight. And uh, we were fighting over things. Now we actually don't remember that well. <laughs> and, um, I, I I thought, and I definitely think now, that the Israeli society, even though we have the bad habit of fighting among ourselves, is much more united than we think, and much more united than our enemies think. And what you see now in Israel, I live in Modin. Uh, since the beginning of current war, we had 16 lost 16 soldiers from Odin, died in battle. It's a very, very patriotic city. Um, everyone goes to the army. Most of them go to, you know, uh, fighting units in the front line. And um, you see here amazing things. The old city is with the families and you see um, thousands of people standing with flags in the street during the funerals like it's it's um heartbreaking and an amazing experience and you actually see that we are in this together and we'll have to find the way to sustain this um unity even when we argue among ourselves even when we we have a, a very important issues that we have to solve and, and we, we we dispute and we have to find a way to make our, our unity 
and more concrete in our uh, routine life because it's there. It's there. We actually see, we see in the front lines things we, we haven't seen before in previous wars. We see a, a, a unit after unit goes to battle crying, Shema Israel, Hashem Elohim. We see, you know, we see th those little uh, movies, people take shots from, from the front line and, you know, hundreds of thousands of soldiers ask for tzitzit. Are you familiar with this phenomenon? Yes, yes. I know people who are spending all day tying the tzitzit. And I know one of my friends is even dying tzitzit with schelet now, with the blue, you know, the blue dye. There's a whole movie. It's amazing. That. It's amazing. Like non-religious soldiers ask for tzitzit. They say, we don't want to enter Gaza without a tzitzit. It's amazing. It's something we see units blowing the shofar before they get into Gaza and religious and non-religious. And like we have this uniting legacy of ours, which belongs to all of us and all of our soldiers want to be part of it. It's really amazing. And these are hard times, you know, we can't conceal it. And it helps it helps us with the challenge the 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 idea the knowledge that we have such a rich tradition from which we take our strength so you jumped into a very interesting point when we talk about the the unity of the society or even like if you just have a situation with a marriage where two people are fighting. So are they fighting to get to the same place? Right. Like they're coming from different opinions, but eventually the goal is the same. Or are they completely not even looking at the same goal? And I think what happened here in Israeli society and maybe it's changing based on what you're saying. I, I'm hoping so, is that the goals of different sectors of Israeli society up until a few weeks ago were not the same. There were people such as myself, and I imagine you, who are here because this is a Jewish country, because we believe that not only was this given to us a long time ago, but for very practical reasons, as we saw after the Holocaust, the Jews need a place of our own to be able to protect ourselves and be able to thrive and prosper as Jews, not bothering anybody else if they don't bother us, but to be able to really fulfill, like the Hashmonaim and the Maccabees were trying to do and succeeded in doing, and we celebrate Hanukkah soon, 2,200 years ago. But there were other Israelis who, who felt differently, who felt the Jewish part, they were more Israeli than Jewish, and, and I'm not putting words into their mouths, these are conversations, and I'm sure you've had them as well over the years, who felt this was Israel, it was a unique place, and we spoke Hebrew, and we have our own culture, but the Jewish aspect of it was less important. There were certain elements that were important, like Friday night dinner it was not necessarily a religious meal, but it was a family meal. That issue of family is so big here in Israel, and I think is a very, very important reason why we are so resilient as a country and as a people. But the holidays were not necessarily religious holidays or maybe not even celebrated. And what you're saying here, and please correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps, is that maybe we're realizing now if the Hamas is coming to kill us, not because they want to take over our land or not any of that, they came to, to slaughter us simply because we are Jews. So if we are going to be attacked simply because we are Jews, what does that mean? Then maybe we need 
to live for that aspect of it. Um, and what you're, you're, so you, what you're mentioning wearing tzitzit and saying Shema Yisrael are distinctly religious elements. They're not singing Hatikva, the national anthem. I mean, they are also, but you could say maybe this is temporary. There are no, what do they say? There are no atheists in a foxhole, right? Anybody who's faced with a gun and with imminent death is going to pray because there's nothing else to do. But the, the tzitzit are not bulletproof. They're not protecting the soldiers physically. It's it's something different. So the, the question is, do you see that as what's happening here? But not just on the front, the fighting front. Do you see it also happening on what we call the oref, the the society that's that's supporting the soldiers, the families of the soldiers, society at large? Um, and do you think that this is a, a turning point in Israeli society of understanding why we are here, because then it makes fighting for what we have on a completely different level, maybe less concerned with public opinion and more understanding that the Shoah is not happening again, and we are now warriors, and we're going to fight for what we have no matter what it takes. I spoke a lot. I said a lot of things, and I would really like to, to hear you know, what you're feeling about this. No, I, I profoundly agree about the trends you see in current war, but I profoundly disagree about the trends you recognize in recent decades in Israel. I think that's what I claimed in my book, Mitkarvim Veravim. I claim that if you look 30 years ago and you compare Israel of the 90s to Israel of today, you see a country that is much more traditional and much more national than it used to be. And I'm speaking about the time before the war. Before the war, Israeli music, mainstream right. music in Israel became religious. You hear singers like Ishai Ribo, Hanan Benari, in you know, in the main radio station singing very popular songs about God and Israel mm -hmm. and, and, and our eternal faith and our, our belief in God. In no other Western state, you hear this kind of songs, you know like mainstream hits, mm -hmm. it's a unique Israeli phenomenon. I also mentioned another very, very important um, Israeli phenomenon, which is the Israeli family and the Israeli yes. birth rate. Israeli birth rate actually rose up in the last 25 years, and it's the only Western state in which this trend happened. All other Western states, birth rate, became very, very low, much below replacement, replacement rate. Right. And Israel is the only state in which the opposite um, process happened. And birth rate in Israel actually rose up within secular community, mm -hmm. not in the religious community. The, Isra the secular Israelis became more traditional, more um, family, and more, uh, no, familial, um, more, more Zionist, more national than they used to be during the 90s. During the 90s, there was a popular, you know, agenda of Medinat Kol Ezrachia, which means Israel is not a Jewish state, it's just a regular liberal state of whoever gets citizenship. And today, you don't hear anyone speaking about it. And you can watch the universalist left-wing parties 
how much votes they got in last election in Israel. Very few. Like, I think, I, I have the theory that our uh, internal fights before the war were what Freud used to call narcissism of small differences. Like, when we get closer, it makes us nervous because we, th- we see our tribal differences becoming smaller and smaller. Like, if you are a very liberal, uh, live in Tel Aviv, and you know, you may be progressive, and, and you see around you more and more kosher restaurants, and more and more of your friends and friends are interested in tefillin and tzitzit, it, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it has some effect on you. It makes you, you know, fearful. What about my identity? What about my tribe? And from the other point of view, the religious community in Israel becomes more liberal. More religious girls serve in the army. Maybe I like it, maybe I don't, but this is the fact. So this process makes the religious leaders, you know, more stressful. What about our daughters? What about our communal identity? This is narcissism of small differences. When the differences between us become smaller, it makes us nervous. And we didn't manage this process very well. We should have identified the source of the social and communal tension in Israel. We should have known that we are not getting apart. And if we had identified the source of this tension, we could have dealt with it much better. And we didn't. And I hope after the war, we'll you know, we'll do it in a much more successful way. So uh, kind of the elephant in the room, and I was thinking about elephants because that's what the Hashemarim fought against. The Seleucids came in on elephants. So I've been I've been missing tour guiding and thinking about that. But leaving that aside, the big elephant in the room, of course, is the leadership. We're talking now about the society, about the people. Um, and, and I and it could be that what this war did was just kind of speed the track that you were saying we were already on. But the there's the leadership in Israel seems to maybe foment the dissension for their own reasons, you know, because you want to get elected. So you have to keep your your side hot and bothered in order to distinguish yourself from the other side. Um, not to mention just a lot of the trials that are happening outside interference. We can't ignore that by, you know, people who are meddling in Israel for their own nefarious reasons. Um, and can the society, even if we can pull ourselves together, and I, and I do believe that uh, Israeli society is just incredible what we're seeing here, um, when this war is over, can we get past the, the, those, those inclinations, you know, and and see past that, maybe get new leadership. Nobody knows what's going to happen here. But we can't ignore the fact that the Israeli people also, there's different parties, there's different religious pools. How how do we we overcome um, those issues, which are huge? The press, of course, also, which doesn't help for the most part and, and only seeks to make their headlines are based on dissension, not based on everybody hugging and getting along. So how do you see us being able to overcome that? In democratic countries, you know, there's a very, very important fact about leadership, which is leadership adopt 
itself to the to the citizenry. Mm-hmm. Like they want to get elected, so they're doing what they think their audience want them to do. Generally speaking, and in Israel, when you have election like once in a, in in a year or sometimes once in six months, um, they even uh, the pressure on the leadership is even is even harder. So it's it actually depends a lot of on on us and. You know, I had a few experiences of watching two members of the Knesset, two Israeli politicians from different and rival parties, speak among themselves very, very in a very civil and, and friendly way, and then a journalist comes and light on his his camera and they start to yell on each other. Because they think that's what their audience want to see. So it actually depends on us because we are this audience. And if we make clear to our leaders, to our politicians, that we want to see them um, seeking for the common denominator and not uh, looking for more internal fights, that what what they're gonna do, you know? I I think uh, that what that is what the Israeli public actually feels, and we just have to make it clear to our leaders. We want to see you leading Israel in a uniting national way, according to our, you know, to our common tradition. We don't want to see you fighting, and if we make it clear, they'll get it. They want to get elected by us. Uh, yeah, but then we, I mean, we have the whole issue of the system of government, which doesn't always lead the people who are running to necessarily listen to the constituents because they're not directly answerable to us. We don't directly elect people. It's parties. So, you know, I, I don't know if this is the time to change that as well. And that's something all Israelis agree on also is that the system um, doesn't doesn't really work. So. To take that but idea in the, in, the United, in the United States, the system is much different, and they have the same problems. Yeah, it's something about you know about the education and culture more than about the system because system in Israel and the system in England and the system in the United States, we have very very different political systems, and we have the same you know the same argumentative and the an unpleasant uh, political environment in most Western countries. So it must be something of, of you know, the, the environment, the cultural and spiritual environment, more than a question of actually the political system. Well, and I'm not speaking about all politicians here, but it seems that many, many politicians forget that they're supposed to be there as public servants, that they're supposed to be, that they're elected. In the olden days, Begin, Shamir, Ben Gurion, you know, they felt like it was really a, a shlichut. It was a, like even a holy mission. Not, I'm not saying in the sense of being religious or not, but to, to lead the, the Jewish people here was something bigger than they were. And they were humbled to some degree. And I don't know if we have that right now with the politicians, if some of them are there for themselves. And again, I don't think we can avoid the uh, idea of the social media and of the disinformation that comes out. And very easily, you know, for example, a couple of days ago, Haaretz, 
a newspaper here that just to say I'm not a fan of. So they published a report that it could be that some that an Israeli helicopter that came to 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 kill the terrorists and get the kids out of that the party on Simchat Torah actually shot some Israelis. And with that, the entire world has run with it, and our enemies have run with it, that Israelis were the ones, it was Israeli forces that killed the kids at the party. Okay, so there's, there's a sense of responsibility, I think, here sometimes that is not met, um, because information can go out, and in a second, it's like opening a pillowcase and go go find the feathers afterwards. Um, and, and that is something that they didn't have to deal with in the 90s, and they didn't have to deal with earlier and, and, you know, there's, there's a whole, we're on this, we're on the world stage all the time by second by second. And, you know, I understand there's tremendous pressure on the politicians, but to just bring it back now to the war, for example. So from what I'm hearing from soldiers that I, and my own sons, is that there's tremendously high motivation among the soldiers in Gaza. They understand the evil that Hamas represents more than even Amalek that we talk about, you know, and we understand now the wisdom in the Torah, get, get them out to the Shorashim, to their roots. But it seems like, at least today, that there are that the government is perhaps going for a ceasefire, letting uh, oil into, who lets oil into when they're fighting a war for, to the enemy? And there's a muddle of humanitarian needs of the Gazans versus the need to safeguard our soldiers and safeguard Israelis. So it seems like there's a, a, a distance now between what the soldiers are doing and sacrificing themselves for and where government policy seems to be going. Like, what are your thoughts on that? This is really frustrating, but let's look again you know, on, the, on the full half of the glass because I was afraid of a much worse um, leadership and behavior of our leaders. I was afraid that they won't let the army even get into Gaza. That they'll say uh, it suffice to to send us to send our uh, you know our helicopters to drop some bombs. And right now, for weeks, our soldiers are in Gaza are doing an extremely efficient job, which a lot of people around the world thought. You know, it's undoable. Gaza right now is, you know, it's the most, um, uh, the biggest terror destination of the world. Maybe, maybe in history, never terror organization have built such a huge fortress, um, underground fortress, like they did in Gaza. Yeah. And Right now, we heard, you know, we heard over the years, like frightening expectations about what would happen if a soldier actually get into Gaza. And now they get into Gaza and the government sends them and give them support for weeks. And they're doing an excellent job and they're destroying Hamas. So we talk about ceasefire, but it's actually months and a half. And right now, uh, the government still didn't accept Hamas terms for, for ceasefire. So they're not as determined as I maybe wanted, but wanted them to be, but they're actually much more determined than I was afraid they would be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we don't go all the way on this, then these soldiers that have been killed and the sacrifices that we've been made, that have been made. So we take Hamas 
maybe permanently, maybe just give them a hard blow out of Gaza. And then there's pressure to have the Palestinian Authority come in and take over, which was the problem from the very beginning and the, the crime of Oslo. And essentially, we have people who are making the decisions who are responsible for the mess that we're in right now. And so that I know you're looking at the cup half full. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the other side of it right now. Um, and and where we're going with this, is it going to be just another mow the lawn, as they talked about in the last few years, where we gave them a big blow, but then we pulled away and they let that, you know, and they and they grew again. Um, and that's, I think, what a lot of Israelis are wondering. And of course, the big question, and also maybe here you can give us, you are a rabbi, so I want to take advantage of your of your religious knowledge as well. The issue of the hostages has become probably the biggest issue and 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 seems definitely that it's impacting the way that the war is being fought. Um, how 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 are you seeing that in terms of the hostages? Because if there's going to be a ceasefire, it's going to be to have to let some hostages out. Um, what what are your thoughts on this whole tragic beyond words situation with the hostages? First of all, I might say you mentioned the responsibility of leaders to the terrible massacre of Simchat Torah, and of course right. they are responsible and they'll have to pay after the war. Right, right now they say, Prime Minister and you know uh, um, the, the Secretary Gallant, they, they both say that they won't let Hamas survive, that they will destroy Hamas, and, and you know, let's believe them. Maybe. They do it in a slower way than we had wanted, but they actually do it. Let's believe them that they're going to go all the way. And about the hostages, this is really heartbreaking because in our tradition, we have a lot of, uh, we had a lot of uh, incidents and a lot of discussions about Jewish hostages. And we know that the Jewish tradition commands two principles, two basic principles. One is that the redemption of hostages must be, you know, a superior mission. You know, they suffer and, and our thoughts and heart and the actions must be with them. But the second principle is that you should think also about the future, about the future of the community, and you don't want to encourage those terrorists to take um, another hostage right. whenever they can. So we must- You don't want to reward them for taking hostages. So we must <laughs> yeah. take into account also the, the national interest. So let's hope really our leadership can balance the, those two interests and, and give us some solution. We, we'll have to give Hamas something to get, you know, if we can get our hostages back, but let's hope our leaders are actually determined to save the hostages and also determined not to pay um to uh, <laughs> too much price for it because you know we'll all have to pay this price uh, god forbid mm -hmm. yeah i mean if they're hiding the hostages in the tunnels then obviously it prevents israel from just blowing up the tunnels if there were just terrorists inside because we don't want to it's heartbreaking. Again, again, let's look about the actions of Tsahal. People are saying Tsahal couldn't manage with the tunnels. 
right now they're doing it very well so uh, mm-hmm. i hope they have more solutions more ideas like they are determined uh, our units are very professional and you know when i speak with actually officers and soldiers going out from gaza to to you know these short vacations they right. got and, and I, asked hours. Them, yeah. i asked yeah i asked them only one question do your superior officers know what they are doing and all told me yes they know they are professional they are determined and it's so relieving to hear it because in previous world wars that wasn't always the answer i got mm-hmm. yeah no i i am also getting that impression obviously this isn't a scientific poll but that in gaza the 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 commanders and the soldiers are they know exactly what they're doing they're trained they're motivated um they understand and and that's something i'm not sure you know many of our listeners are from all over the world in very big countries that perhaps have not fought a war on their own terrain ever or certainly for a very long time and as we saw in simchat torah you know we have people who live literally 100 150 meters from an enemy that is trying to destroy us this is not like some theoretical thing and we saw this on simchat torah very 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 clearly um and there are people who unless this is taken care of are not going to go back and live uh, in those communities and in the north as well which we didn't even bring up that's kind of a waiting to happen situation with Hezbollah in the north one of my sons is serving there and he spoke to someone with him who lives in Roshanikra which is really at the very top right there near with Lebanon and he said he's not going home until Hezbollah is rooted out he can't now now we understand what happens it's not a nightmare anymore and one of my daughters was one of the tets- that was her job in the army 10 years ago is to be one of the spotters the tetspetaniot the girls who look through the cameras and see the dangers and it's come out now at least here in Israel some of them saying that they were warning already for months that they were seeing suspicious activity and they weren't listened to um but she told me that during her service this exactly what happened on Simchat Torah was their nightmare and it happened and some of the tetspetaniot paid with their lives and some were taken hostage so the the worst case scenarios we got a glimpse of it obviously it could have been so much worse and on an even bigger scale but we got it we got a taste of what our enemies around us would like to do to us and how we cannot cannot let them do that and i think we're all sitting here you know hoping that that even if the world doesn't understand and this is an incredibly difficult question i don't know if you can answer i don't know if anyone can answer it at what point does israel say to the world listen with all due respect this is what we need to do to survive because i'm sometimes getting the feeling that the world doesn't really want israel to live in peace and doesn't want the jews to really have it okay like they'll give us a little pat on the head right now okay you're very angry over what happened on that shabbat so go you know go deal with hamas and, and go get your rage out up until a certain point and then already we're not going to let you do that and at what point do we say we are a sovereign state and we have to make our own decisions because this is existential this is it's not about world opinion anymore our existence depends on this you think we have that in us to be able to do that i really hope so because you know in the bottom line the world respect winners the world doesn't respect yes. losers so 
if we want the respect of the world, we don't need a better hasbara. We need a better... <laughs> We need, we need PR, a public relations. Yes. Yeah, I know. We need better results. We need um, a very determined uh, winning point. So um, let's hope, let's hope that's what we're going to do. And, and right now, I understand um, your tendency to criticize the leaders because they really deserve oh. this criticism. But right now, I want, you know, I want to encourage them mm -hmm. about good things they do. They're actually doing much better than I thought they would. So, so let's encourage the good things they do and let's hope they'll continue be so determined until we actually crush Hamas and hopefully Hezbollah, you know, and then the world will respect us. Yeah, I, I think Israelis do feel that. We had no friends until after 1967, really, because who wants to be friends with the weakling? It's it's yeah. why put your faith in something that's just so temporary. But I, I but I do believe to just to end up because you have to go and and teach. Um, the Jewish element cannot be taken out of here. And I know that I get mail from some of my listeners here on the podcast who are not Jewish, but who say you are God's people in the world. We know that you are here to fight the evil that some of us don't have the strength or the will or the understanding to fight. There's a bigger picture here beyond a little state trying to survive in a very crazy Middle East. It's a picture almost, as I feel, of, of a shlichut, of a mission that we were given a long, long time ago to root out evil that is so barbarian that it has no place on this planet. And if people would see that and understand that we're not asking anyone to fight with us, but we're not. At, we're asking them to not stop us from from doing something that ultimately will make the world a better place for them as well as for us. This is not just our fight. The fight against these barbarians, if they, if they, you know, they want to do this everywhere, and that's what people need to understand. Um, that we are little people, but we are great people with a great mission, and. Um, Personally, I, I could not be anywhere else, as difficult as it is. And I want to thank you for your constant, first of all, for your optimism, for being brave enough to write a book about Israeli society because it changes in like no time flat. I think you should already be working on the sequel if you aren't. And, uh, and for teaching what you teach and, and, uh, and, inspiring, and inspiring a younger generation, because that is our future. This is what we're doing this for, is our children and our grandchildren. And for them to understand a much bigger picture than they're just going to get from, you know, the news one day or a certain situation. And I want to thank you and also your respondents. You know, you said people actually send you messages yes. of support from around the world. So we don't have many friends around the world, but those who actually support us is so, you know, um, so supportive and so important to us and we really really appreciate those brave individuals who actually have the courage to stand with us against you know against the, the cruelty of our enemies right well and they need to because there's you have to take a side on this and and too many people all through history have kind of stood at the side and then and then bad things have happened. So I just have to say that if, to, my, to my listeners, how much I appreciate getting the letters of support. Um, I really do. I cry. 
<laughs> Believe it or not, yes, the tears are never far from the surface. But sometimes we feel very alone here. And uh, we hear just the negative coming from the world and the demonstrations in different places in Palestine from the river to the sea, which means destroying Israel. That's, you know, that's so clear. And what's happening on the campuses. So with the positive message that you send, the prayers that you send, and whatever you do, I cannot tell you how much that is appreciated. And it, it punches way, way, way above its weight. So I want to thank you all for doing that, for tuning in. I want to thank um, Rav Chaim Navon for for his steadfast faith and uh, again, and um, in good view on what's happening here. And, and may we just hear good news. And if a miracle wants to happen also, I don't think any of us would miss it. We would say, oh no, that wasn't a miracle. I think we would get it very clearly and very much understand um, where it's coming from. So uh, thank you to Rav Navon. Thank you to all my listeners. Eve Harrow Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Thanks to Ben and to Tabitha for editing the show. And to all of you out there, um, may we have, may the next week be a good one for all of, for Israel and for all of mankind. Take care everyone and goodbye for now. <laughs>